0: Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday Special. As always, we have a really great panel lined up today. From Dublin's Inquirer, we have Shamim Malekin-Mian. Uh, did I get that right, Shamim? No.
1: It's uh, Shamim malekin so close
0: enough. Thank you. Uh, from Noteworthy, we have Maria Delaney. And all the way from Madrid, we have Professor Joe Haas. Morning, Joe. How are you? Oh.
2: Very good, Martin. Very good.
0: I'm also Actually, joined- can
3: I say something? You got Joe's names wrong as well. I was just What's gonna happened? say, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
2: What can I do? Oh. What can
3: I do? Oh,
0: no, no. <laughs> I'm so, also why? I'm also joined by my co-host, the exalted Tony Groves. The, the, I had to pedant. he said he said I had to say that. And today we're gonna to cover a range of subjects that look back at the week, look forward to where we're going to. I think we'll we'll kick off with Shamim if we can. Shamil, you wrote a piece this week about access to legal aid for migrants. Would you tell us a little bit more about that, please?
1: Sure. And uh, I'd like to say hello to everyone who's listening and hope you're having a wonderful Sunday. So this week I wrote about how the Legal Aid Board is understaffed and underfunded. And as a result, it's hugely reliant on private solicitors to help with asylum cases. Uh, for context, I have to say that uh, the Legal Aid Board is the largest provider of legal help to asylum seekers at the moment. But it only has three offices across the country, one in Dublin, one in Cork, and one in Galway, uh, to deal with these cases. And they have a small staff as well. Uh, Government figures uh, show that over the years, These offices take on fewer and fewer asylum cases and refer a large volume of these cases to private solicitors on their um, private practitioners international protection panel. Um, Now, asylum seekers say that some of these solicitors show very little interest in uh, following up with their cases, taking on their cases. Often they might sit on a case for a while which extends their stay in direct provision. Um, So this is one of the less... Visible factors contributing to delays in processing asylum applications, I might say, that doesn't have much to do with the Justice Department. Um, For example, the person I interviewed from my story this week um, had a private solicitor who wouldn't file a leave to remain application on their behalf. They both have different accounts of what happened, but uh, anyway, the file gets sent back to the Legal Aid Board office in Smithfield, and they don't do anything on it for over a year, and it's it's not clear why. Um, so the board says they can't comment on particular cases. Um, but um, solicitors say, the private solicitors say that the reason they have little in- incentive for fighting these cases is that the fees that the state offers them is not adequate, especially if they have to appeal a negative decision. As as anyone who's listening probably knows, when you're appealing a decision, you have to prepare compelling arguments, um, but but the current fee that the, the Legal Aid Board offers solicitor for appeal is about 400 euro, for example, And because a lot of these private solicitors don't specialize in immigration law or refugee law, they often have to hire a counsel to help with the case. And the board doesn't cover the cost of that either. So they have to split that 400 euro again with somebody else. So uh, from their point of view, it's not really worth it. And uh, some of them prefer to work on better paying assignments
3: that makes total sense from a from a from a like a monetary standpoint but from a, a human human rights standpoint it's it leaves people without without legal representation in a very difficult to um, get your, you know, this is not a system that's easy to to get make your own way through. We we've spoken to Wendy Lyon previously on this podcast, and the work that they do with, with helping people. We've spoken to the to the Migrant Rights Council. We've spoken to so many people. It's 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 complex at the best of times. The people you're you're speaking to, Shane, but do you mind me asking, is it is it, you know, is this the sort of stuff that's delaying not just putting their lives on hold, but also causing more stress, more more mental health problems, and and the likes of that? It must be contributing factor.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like the person I talked to had uh, had filed a complaint to the legal aid board and in the email, he actually threatens that I'm going to kill myself, you know, in the in the center because I've been waiting for so long with no decision, with no answers, you know
3: going to pause the podcast for a moment to ask for your support. The Tortoise Shack, as you know, has no ads, no sponsors, nor do we want any ads or sponsors. We rely on listeners to join us on the Patreon model. It's the price of a cup of coffee a month, but it's because of those price of a cup of coffee that we can have new podcasts, like the, ne- the new season of Conversatrans that just came out yesterday. It's like the upcoming season of Policed, which is, uh, you know, a lot of work goes into every episode of a Policed, but we want to keep them ad-free. We want to stay away from any corporate sponsors and the only way we can do that is if you support us it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack i know myself martin rory vicky alex jules brian um where to go we all really need your support so we'd really appreciate it if you think you might ever buy, buy us a pint if you met us on in in your local well look at it this is your way of buying us a pint um, just doing it just doing it over the internet it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Um, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast
0: tony i'm reminded a while back we spoke to a a human rights lawyer, and I'm sorry her name escapes me just at the moment, but she told us that the, the success of cases very much depends on the work and time that the, the legal people put into the case. And she had taken over cases which had been in the system and it was, it was actually women on divorce cases, but she had taken over these cases and actually given them as much time as she would her corporate clients. And she won every case. So. The the application of work by the solicitor is a huge factor in whether a case is successful or not.
3: But but, but a solicitor can't work for free either. I mean
0: Oh, no. I get that too, Tony. I do get that. But um is there ever going to be a cost that covers the amount of work that's necessary?
3: Well, like Maria, I know you guys have worked in noteworthy on on the direct provision um and trying to do other stuff like that. I mean, it seems to me. If we're really serious about these things, we'd be we'd be streamlining this as, as a minimum, no?
4: Yeah, like uh, well, I haven't worked on direct provision myself, but I know that we have in the past. Um, but like it, like I, we had the, there was an article this week just on the the um, direct provision um, revision, and I know the journal um, have done a lot of work on looking at direct provision, and it seems like it's been pushed back and back. Again, like the 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 deadline for revising the system, um, is years away. So, like, it, it, we definitely need to look at this system and look at like as Mark was saying, the legal representation is so important. Like, especially like the these areas are such so complex and universal de- deportation. So, like, having legal representation is critical in these situations.
3: Um, Shimee, if I come back to you, just just i mean you're that's your you you look after the 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 migrate the immigration beat for the dublin inquirer um so you've seen obviously you've talking to to these two people from from all aspects of it do do people feel that there's a sense that that it, that it is actually there is a serious attempt on behalf of government to really end direct provision for example and to 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 make it to make it um a timely way that we can say, you know, it will be it will be something that's done away with or people just think it's just another another project.
1: I think people believe that they're going to end the direct provision system, but it's just a matter of timing. They think it's too late to the 2024 deadline. They think it's too late for them. But in general, I think they believe the government when they say that they're going to end it, but it's just the timing and they want they want it to happen sooner for sure.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'd be so, have so much faith that they'll end it by 2024. I mean, we have seen time and again where temporary solutions become permanent features of our political landscape. And um, I think uh, I don't see it gone by 2024. And really and truly, if they wanted to get rid of it, it could be gone in the morning. And that's what we've learned about COVID is that nothing takes three years or four years. Nothing. If they want to solve a problem, it's solvable. Um, I'm going to turn to Joe. Joe, you put up a tweet during the week. There was an arrest in Italy, and you put up a, a, a tweet during the week that said, "Well, this is it for Spain now. No more will we be focusing on the issues that matter. We're going to focus once again on Catalan." And you feel quite disappointed that this has happened.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't want to start on a downer, you know, and uh, but it is it is very frustrating that. Um, uh, you know what's been happening for a long time going right back to the you know the indignados which is 10 years old which was you know basic people advocating for better uh, living conditions accommodation work conditions you know all of the the you know health transport education and then sort of the nationalism question came in and when i talk about nationalism i talk about both kinds of nationalism spanish nationalism which is you know represented by vox and also catalan nationalism and, uh, you know, it's basically I mean, that's always the problem with nationalism, isn't it, that it just kind of it, solutions never arrive. You know, it fills everyone with hope. And then the reality hits, which is that working together is how you get solutions and finding differences between people is not how you find solutions. So it brings everyone up for expectations. And, uh, you know, it's there was talks. I mean, Pedro Sanchez turned up and, and met with the president of General Adidas, and they were talking about, you um, you know sort of okay let's sit down let's hear what the issues are let's try and and uh, i mean actually what they're trying to do is get back to where they were 10 years ago when someone else started playing nationalist games and there was at least some sense at which people would would start to sit down and understand where the problems were what they agreed on and what they didn't agree on and the problem with this now is that uh with with the with the arrest of, of Pujimo, um which is that everyone's it's and that people are back on the streets demonstrating they're burning cars uh you know they're dem- they're doing all that kind of stuff uh, and uh you know that just is destructive i mean it it just doesn't bring us anywhere near solutions and, and i think that's very demoralizing because Uh, you know, the pandemic has hit Spain, although, you know, vaccination rates and things like that are excellent. Uh, The nature of work that goes on here is, you know, in areas like tourism has affected Spain. Uh, So, you know, we need to try and be focusing on those problems. And instead, uh, you know, we're looking at what makes us different rather than makes us similar. Uh, And that's, that's really uh, demoralizing. It's really depressing because, um, yeah.
0: Tony, you'd have a slightly different take on that.
3: Um. Well, no, I look like this is myself and Joe go back and forwards. Everybody knows I'm I, I, I have close links with with in Catalonia. And um, I understand, again, I don't believe in uh, I'm, I'm an open borders kind of guy. You know, that's my reality. But also self-determination is, is something. And I just think this arrest was a ridiculous thing to do. It, it, it inflamed tensions. It gave um the the move for Catalan independence was kind of dwindling, Joe. It's fair to say, you know, people were focusing on coming, building, out of the recovery, a green recovery, jobs, going back with tourism, um, all of that. But again, you know, I'm literally I'm holding it in my hand. I suppose you can you see it, Joe. (laughs) <laughs> OK,
2: yeah, so, I be, I'd probably better if I don't look, but, yeah. you know, so, no, this- but that's
3: but that's back again. The yellow ribbons are back everywhere again. Yeah. And when and they're the signs, you know, so so we don't we don't want to go down that road. Now, again, that says, says me, the man who has the yellow ribbon on a, on, yeah. a, on his face mask. But nonetheless, it's it was it was a dumb thing to do in the EU in 2021 to arrest a politician for essentially the crime. Of carrying it, whether you believe in the the, the election and what it, what it meant for the the crime of actually you know engaging in politics. But, but,
2: but Tony, you know, like the first thing you learn in these things is who benefits from this, you know, and and who you know the last thing Pedro Sanchez wants. You know, he's the guy who's trying to bring people together. So the last thing he actually wants is would be a trial for Puigdemont. Basically, if Puigdemont, I mean, this is not going to happen for a variety of legal reasons I could go into if you're interested, but Pujimon is not going to be brought uh, back to 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 Barcelona and put on trial but I mean if that was to happen that would be literally so then everyone is kind of well then obviously there's no talks obviously there's no budget obviously there's no anything everyone is just like you know back to entrenched in their positions so you know you have to kind of we, we give politicians um you know uh, a lot of criticism but Pedro Sanchez took an awful lot of heat for releasing the people who were in, in on trial. He has gone down in the polls because of it, but he believed that the only way politics has to be shown to work, uh, and he, he he took a lot of heat for that. Uh, and then the last so the last thing he wants is that everyone is kind of, you know, back and talking about how, you know, Spain is bad in all ways, and Cat- the only thing that can save Catalonia is independence. He was trying to find the middle ground, so he doesn't want Puigdemont. Now, we can talk about... who who was behind this and there's basically two sides uh, you know two two schools of thought one being that it's basically you know coming from Spanish nationalism who who are basically pushing you know friends of theirs in the judiciary to do this so you know we wouldn't want that and then the other side is that it's Catalan nationalism in other words he sort of like deliberately got himself arrested uh, in order to try and and get this back on the agenda because they didn't want talks to go either so neither Puigdemont nor Vox want talks to continue. So and and I presume we would all want talks to continue because talking is how you resolve issues. Absolutely Joe, but I just want to go back to to Madrid
3: and there was a, another protest during the week on the streets and it was a, anti-LGBT um moves that, that are carrying on. So it's you're right to point and you pointed out in in your in defense it's it's there's a there's a hard right on on both sides of this argument whether it's in Catalonia or it's in Madrid and that seems to be very much the this, or whether you want to call it culture wars or whatever the, the phrase is, it's, it's, it's terrifying to see that that's, you know, openly happening. I mean, you, you, you'll know better than me. You'll probably tell me, Tony, it was only a handful of nutters, but
2: nonetheless, you don't like to see it. Tony, Tony, it was a handful of nutters. Like, <laughs> literally, yeah. I, I, and you know, this is again, this is this thing about like, you know, and, and this is the thing you criticize people for. We get excited about handful of nutters, you know, who walk deliberately to get just like a rapper or something like that. Can we start talking about the issues that matter to people, healthcare, uh, you know, job security, housing, instead of getting all worried about nutters or obscure legal trials, because that's, those are the things that matter. Uh, And that's, that's my frustration always with these things that we all, you know, jump up because, because the other stuff is complicated, trying to resolve problems in healthcare, housing, or, 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 you know, um, uh, self-employment is all complicated and boring so instead like nazis bad you know or or spain bad or whatever and and it just means i mean one of the things that has happened since we spoke was the pablo iglesias leaving politics uh, and you know that was a classic example of um you know somebody who who you know educated to be outside the system was let in the system and when he got inside the system decided that's ah, too much work you know all this think, kind of like meetings and having to actually sit you know having to actually say okay this is what what is the situation and this is what we want uh, so we need to get more people inside the system who are prepared to uh you know because otherwise populism wins
0: i think there's an element too that in italy they have their own separatist movement within italy and I think the fact that Italy made the arrest, the arrest sent a message to their own separatist people, maybe not to step outside the box.
2: I don't know, um, Martin. It's like, <laughs> you know, uh, like it's Salvini who's supporting them, you know? I don't think he's a friend of yours. I mean, no. the funniest thing was I, I was talking to, I, I was not talking to, but I was sort of sparring on Twitter with Lynn Boylan. And, and like Lynn and Bougemon, you know, she was supporting him. They, they agree on absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, if you just mentioned Israel, if you mentioned, you know, their their rights to, to the other thing I've talked about, they agree on absolutely nothing. But, you know, simple narrative kind of, you know, I, I my own belief is that they, they confuse Basque nationalism and Catalan nationalism, and which are very separate movements. But Pougema and Lynn Boylan. All of the things that Sinn Féin are arguing for in Northern Ireland are exactly the opposite to what everything Puigdemont believes in. Can so, you know, can, it's I, inconsistent.
3: Can, I, can I be real cheeky as Kevin Cunningham, who wrote a great piece on Sinn Féin in, in the Examiner during the week is in the audience. And I've just give, knocked on your mic, Kevin, because interesting that you that that is one of the points you covered in Sinn Féin. And so far as they're a nationalist party. But they're but they they don't necessarily fit the bill of what we see as nationalist parties across the EU. Um, anyway, and, and th- sorry, I hope I didn't uh, catch you off guard turning on your mic like that.
5: No, no, you're good. No, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for inviting me on, uh, Tony Martin. Yeah, no. Uh, you, yeah, I think Sinn Fein are definitely an unusual party. I think some of the stuff as well. Uh, Joseph, Joseph or Joe, uh, you are talking about there. Uh, Whatever you want, Kev. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I agree with quite a lot of it, just the the simplification of politics as Nazis are bad and uh, kind of a lack of focus on other issues. But I also think in some ways, the kind of populism feature, like it's, it's hard to put it in a box, you know, although putting more, bringing more people in the system is probably a good way of, of, of trying to address it. There's just so much of it and so much of it actually in in Ireland as well, and just relating to that article, I wrote uh, on, in The Examiner about the, the sheer scale of the number of people that have what you might describe as kind of more populist sentiment in relation to the perceptions of corruption and trust in, in government and stuff like that. And while Sinn Féin aren't really advocates, genu- I don't think Sinn Féin is a populist party, to be honest with you. I think a lot of its supporters are populist, but I don't think Sinn Féin, you know, talk about a distrust in the media or talk about a distrust in the entire system in the same way that Populist parties in other countries do um, so. For me, just looking at the Irish system, I think there's this massive possibility that a a, a lar- some large scale populism, some populist nationalism of the right might uh, might emerge uh, in Ireland. Uh, I think that's a that's a that's a huge possibility.
0: You know? yeah. we, we've shown I ourselves. A... I don't know.
3: Sorry, Mark. Can I get point. can we can, can Shameem, can I ask you just uh, like we're talking about this in the in the grand scheme, but you're dealing with mm. the the the, you're covering migrant stories and you're hearing all of this. So the, it, I spoke to Lorcan Sir a couple of years ago in, in relation to say example, for example, direct provision. And he always argued that it just belonged in the Department of Housing. It was a housing issue more than it was a, a you know, let, let's let's take it out of the equality thing and throw it into housing and, and fix it. And that, that's perspective. But, you know, you must there must be a sentiment around there that there is this undercurrent of you know, you know, refugees aren't welcome. Oh
1: well, yeah, absolutely, and I I totally agree with the point that Kevin raised about Sinn Féin's um, some of the supporters might be um, more kind of nationalistic or or how do we put it without getting cancelled?
3: <laughs> more, po- um, more, more populist.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I I never kind of got a sense that the leaders or the people on the top would be kind of. Anti-immigrant or or having populist kind of um, uh, agendas, but but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You Remember when um, when the the white paper on ending direct provision was first introduced, there was kind of there's so much kind of backlash on Twitter from racists, like even with. And you're saying that it's a housing issue, is it? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That that makes it very controversial, doesn't it? It makes it so inflammatory because there, there, a lot of people are going to come in and say, "Oh, all of these asylum seekers are going to take our houses away," you know. So I don't think it, it can quite actually work if they in, they make it a completely housing issue. You well, know?
3: it would if we understood housing as a human right here, we just struggle with that. Anthony makes a point in the comments: that says Sinn Fein are a left republican party and not a your normal nationalist party. And I think that's fair, Anthony. They are they are very much their ideology is very. Much left, I think, Kevin. You made that point in your in your piece that the party themselves have have gone more to the left as a Republican party. That that that's kind of the that's come kind of to the vote. But I also want to say that some I don't know if we saw it during the week. And Joe, you might have a comment on this because you watch it from afar as well, Maria. Mm-hmm. Just the, the the basic rise of the mainstreaming of some of the populist things. I know it's budget season, but it's we're hearing tax cuts. We're hearing social welfare rises we're hearing two weeks holidays for um frontline workers where like every kite must have been flown this week maria and you must have been sitting there going like what one do we pick pick it it very much does seem like i know it's pre-budget but that to me is more populist than than um you know the 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 understanding of just a a boris johnson or a donald trump in some ways
4: yeah like I, i suppose when you when you hear um I so suppose the classic is um an increase in 5 euro two pensions or like you know I suppose a lot of targets being aimed at older people it's always the the grey uh, vote that people uh, talk about in that case um I suppose in in fairness to the pension and that kind of thing it hasn't it didn't rise in uh the last year in the last budget and I suppose there is inflation going on so you have to take that into account but yeah like the two week holiday um like when you look at the figures of how much that would cost to the public sector, and obviously everyone understands the huge strain that frontline workers have been under, and everything like that. But it does seem quite a populist idea <laughs> when you say it. Which um, yeah, like I suppose it's always in the budget. You're always looking out for these populist kind of vote-grabbing um, su- suggestions, but um, and you're not thinking about things like like I was at actually a. a an event on educational disadvantage this um, this week, and one of the striking things I, I saw from it was a principal saying that they were twenty thousand euro in debt in the school, and um, they were looking for things like the the grant that's given um, the an auxiliary grant for things like caretakers and and um, and they were hoping that now that the caretakers and the secretaries are going to be paid. Um, through the system that maybe they'll keep the grant and be able to pay off some of their debt and that kind of thing. So it's those kind of things that people on the ground are facing, and especially in debt schools or disadvantaged schools where, um, again, like we rely a lot on parent contributions and and voluntary (laughs) contributions when it comes to schools. So those things aren't really being talked about at the moment. Like they're somewhat being talked about in terms of voluntary contributions, Yet it's the pensions and the holidays and things, I suppose, more not luxury items, obviously, because like they're very vital, but um, things that maybe affect more people. And again, maybe are populist uh, and maybe, I suppose, affect people that maybe aren't as disadvantaged in some ways.
0: I think it's more a populist offset because we know this budget that's going to be upcoming is going to be... the the stealth austerity budget, where they get back to balancing the books, and to offer a fiver on pensions. And then on the other hand, to be saying, well, we're taking pensions off you until you reach 67, 68. I mean, that's the real story. A fiver means nothing. I mean, it's jelly beans. It's beads when they're taking your your pension away for you. But I think we focus too much on the populist aspect. Oh, there's going to be a fiver on the pension. Well, oh, there's going to be a lot less more people getting that fiver. So I need. I think we need to look past the populism or the the kite flying that's going on at the moment. Yeah.
2: Sorry, But Joe, Martin, what? just coming in here. I mean, that is the Sinn Fein thing that they have. They have an identity, especially around Owen O'Brien, as being, you know, into the detail rather than being into the populism. That, if I'm not mistaken, is the reason for their success in the last election. So the thing that amazes me is how come, you know, like Fine Gaelan going around saying, where's our own O'Brien? You know, can we just, just smarten some guy up and, you know, get him into the detail? But they sort of like, even after everything that happened in the last election, where there's a suggestion that, there's a degeneration of people that are just tired of, they see two mm-hmm. giveaways immediately and they want actual detailed work. You know, they want uh, that, that neither Fianna Fáil nor Fianna Gale seem to be able to, uh, you know, come up with uh, so, uh, somebody who can, from their, the ranks of their party, uh, that that can get into the detail. Uh, you know, that's what's happened with the rider law in Spain. You know, we, we had a minister who came in and she was like a, I guess she's affiliated with the Communist Party, which is always very amusing, but that's a more a cultural thing rather than a, like a political thing. But she was into like the detail. So she came up with the you know case, the rider law, had the meetings, came up with the law, you know, said this is what we want. Wrote it down on a piece of paper, brought it before the parliament, got it passed. And she's now giving, you know, people who are using, uh, you know, false self-employment, 11 million euro fines. You know, and everyone sees that happening. You know, and meanwhile, Pablo Iglesias is, you know, uh, who, who you know, talk to a good game. And that is, is if Sinn Féin can be more like Yolanda Díaz and less like Pablo Iglesias, you know, the, I think that's people will be successful because it totally. doesn't look that Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael have any interest in, in detail, any interest in legislation. They have loads of interest in detail, Joe. Sorry, Kevin, did you a, want to say something there? I thought you were.
5: Uh, no, no,
3: you go ahead. You go ahead.
0: Yeah. yeah no, I, no. Tony has me barred from replying to anything about false self-employment. Yes, shows, so sorry. I can't, I can't <laughs> actually go into it at the moment, <laughs> but, but there is another subject we'd like, and this is, you know, this is something that has affected people quite quite a lot over the last few weeks. Tony, the, the, the stories that are coming out in regard to Anthony Flynn and and what happened there it's just getting worse and worse
3: the revelations that were coming out in the, the the report that Jack Power seen and was seen by other people in, in terms of what 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 carried out raised even more serious issues and it's 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 actually abhorrent i mean i used the word i said sickening and, and predator was the word i used when i when i commented on it online and i took a lot of flack from certain corners and that's fine but that's at the at the end of the day this is this is predatory behavior and this is this is you know an, an insane story to try for me to try and comment on personally because obviously I, I had an affiliation with with the with the charity raised money for the charity but nonetheless this is this is absolutely outrageous and then try and compartmentalize it for a minute and then and, and say that you know how are we in a situation where a situation whereby the first disclosure is made a young man is is put through the, the ringer of you know post um sexual assault all the, the 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 machinery comes into place and all the tests are carried out phones are taken samples are taken all of that's happened nothing is done in terms of preventing anything happening and he goes on to reoffend or again 13 days later there's a, there's so many problems here and i can i think i i don't want to go on about drew harris commented yesterday on the vetting process needed to be reviewed For, of course people who deal with vulnerable people should be vetted but vetting is a bit of a red herring because vetting only says, have you ever been caught doing something before? If you haven't been caught, you're not going to show up on on, on a vetting process. And ICHH Adhere to the vetting process, even when the guardie didn't. So it was a, you know, it's a bit of a red herring here. It's, it's. I've spoken to Jack Power. He's hoping to put time aside to go into more detail on a fuller podcast. I think that's fair, Martin, because yeah. we we spoke to McClifford McFl- about this. We've spoken about it since the outset, since Anthony Flynn, the revelations first came to light, and he took his own life. But just like you know, the the victims in this these are you know where's the supports what are we doing and, and are we at a situation whereby we actually didn't prevent a future rape because we didn't act sooner I, I, you know the whole there's so many questions and i don't know how i don't know how we um answer them i just
0: but we will we will be coming to jack during the week and we will do quite a comprehensive podcast about this i think it absolutely deserves a comprehensive podcast i'm going to move us on a little maria you did a, a piece and it's about children from the traveler community not going back to school after the pandemic and they face enough obstacles i mean there is enough structural violence in their way without the pandemic and the results of the pandemic is there anything can be done is there is there extra resources needed is there some way of reaching out and getting these kids back into school
4: yeah, I suppose the problem was um, um, Tracy Riley from Pave Point. So she was speaking at um, the event I mentioned earlier. Um, and she mentioned that a lot of it was teenagers, so around 14 to 16 year olds um, aren't going back after the pandemic. And um, so they didn't return to school in September. And um, I suppose one of the big issues with why maybe I suppose they haven't returned was. Um, i suppose they felt disenfranchised after having missed so much at school so a lot of um travelers have very bad access to internet um, and even if say they were provided with devices such as laptops there wouldn't there mightn't have been the literacy within their family to maybe show people how to use laptops or have boots on the ground to show people because of the um, distancing measures and the isolation and that kind of thing so even if they were provided services it didn't necessarily mean that they were able to use them and and I suppose I I was speaking to Tracy after the event as well and and she was saying that um, just lack of support um, and I suppose there is support for some people in terms of outreach officers when people are um, when travellers are in school but um, once I suppose you decide to leave school Tracy's point was there's very little in terms of meeting with parents or trying to get um, people back into school so that they can complete their leaving cert. And one of the other concerns is, I suppose, with the cancellation of the junior cert, that now they're leaving school without even a junior cert qualification. So they basically have no state exams or no state qualification now when leaving. So it is, um, it, it, happened, it was a big issue, I suppose it is Traveller Pride Week as well, where we try, we celebrate culture and music and um, poetry and, and of, of great cra- traveller pride and it's awful to see that there's teenagers now leaving school and, and it, it seems to be a, what, I, what I could see is to, a lack of facilities in terms of helping people when they were away from school, um, lack of internet um, and also now a lack of outreach for people who aren't returning to school
3: maria I'm sorry. I've, I've just um, opened the microphone for Amory Quilligan, who, as people know on this podcast, for are long-term listeners, is is a fantastic advocate, travel advocate, and and talks about these issues. Amory, I, 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 would you like to make a comment on on this? And 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 thanks for doing this. I appreciate it.
6: Yeah, no, uh, thanks a million for allowing me in. I suppose for me, like I work with an awful lot of travelers and um, access third level education uh, throughout the country, and I'm working in Munster and um, with travelers in primary school and secondary school and I always say like there are challenges within the community and challenges external to the community and where I'm working with children um, going into secondary school that can't read or write you know there's 70% liter- uh, liter- uh, numeracy and um, difficulties w- uh, amongst parents and last year during the the lockdown when I went into work with a group of children it was a hundred children Not one child was provided with uh, tablets, with internet, out of 100 children. When I went in to support the children for the junior search and the legal search to find that the school was given them pictures of horses to colour in, I came away from work like, and I cried my heart out, and the elephant in the room here is that every one of the children that I'm working with, so I'm working with nearly 100 children, and all the children that are in secondary school, one child. It's officially recorded as on a reduced timetable. Every one of the children are on a reduced timetable. And the education welfare officer and TUSA have completely washed their hands of this, and it's the elephant in the room here. You know, there's the children are being denied their right to an education. And um, it's not that there's no value on uh, ed- education within the community, but they don't see the outcomes and for the struggle of it. And there's a big difference between integration and inclusion. You know, I'm working with children and um, trying to help them with their um, regulation and behaviour techniques and the so grounding techniques in class and being sent home after a pandemic. The first week of school, I had five children sent home. One sent home because the haircut wasn't adequate, wasn't up to scratch. And the other sent home because they're supposed to wear black shoes and there was white in the label of these sure. shoes. You know, and that's not all. Schools like, but this is after a pandemic, mm. you know, and the first week, five children sent home.
0: Thanks, yeah. Anne, thanks Anne-Marie. It's,
6: it's, it's, it's what you said, Martin. It's the structural. It's the um, structural
0: violence. Yeah, it yeah, is. It's,
3: it, 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 these barriers that are being placed there. And, you know, I'm reminded of when when we went out a few months ago now at Rory and they they said uh, that the, the, the guys up on the side up in Ballymun and how they built the walls around IKEA. And they said that they, so, they, so, they, so no one had to see them. You know they built walls around us. The walls around us, but not roofs over our heads, and all of those things that we do that in ways of in educational attainment, social mobility, and inclusion. Um, and it
6: no, is uh, there's no acknowledgement of the the trauma. You know, like um, all the children that I'm working with now, they decide like some have come from Spring Lane, so some have come from the fire fire frying pan into the fire. And these children, throughout lockdown, I can't believe this is happening because I've never seen poverty like this. I'm still working with children that have no access to running water or electricity. And I'm working with children that are going to the toilet in the bucket.
0: Yeah, it's very difficult to overcome that structural violence. It's very difficult to see yourself as part of the community when that's the way you live. It is really difficult. I don't know how we're going to get past this.
3: Well, We could start by acknowledging it and moving um, and and actually you know owning that this is what we do as, as as a as a wider society we marginalize and then we minimize and, and then we actually have to talk about inclusion um, i am conscious of time and we we do need to to move on but um Shimee, you wanted to make a comment on the Garda vetting if you wouldn't can i ask you to
1: yeah sure um basically i was thinking for for citizenship application we have the good character criteria and if even if you've been questioned by the garda at some stage or if, even if you were a witness You have to kind of provide a complete, comprehensive kind of explanation of that. And I was thinking maybe we should apply that to people who work with vulnerable groups like the homeless.
0: That's a good idea. That is a good idea. Tony, I'm just going to skip on to you quickly. The repeal review. Um, yeah.
1: And I
3: just, just very quickly on the repeal review. go um, check out the podcast last week from Holly Cairn. She spoke about it uh, much better than I'm going to. Um, but I do think uh, it just shows the, mar- you know, free, safe, legal route marching yesterday again. And just because the referendum was won doesn't mean that uh, access is is free, safe, and legal in all aspects yet, and we and we have a lot more to do um, in that regard. Uh, we will we will cover we will cover it in more detail again. But as I said, we covered it during the week with Holly Cairns, who's part of the committee that's going to be taught to review as well. So um, watch that space. It's all it's all still it's all still developing.
0: Um, I, 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 yeah, I'm going to come to Kevin on this one, Kevin. Uh, as a journalist, if you were to liquidate all your assets tomorrow, are you a millionaire? Me? Yes. <coughs>
5: uh,
3: no, I don't know. a house. <laughs> I, no, it's a, David Devin Power said all journalists were millionaires yesterday, which was... Which was... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was
5: looking at you guys thinking, <laughs> Are you going, I think uh I is a millionaire. I don't, I don't, I don't have a house, so I think most people in hiding seem to be... But In that he, direction, all
0: right, of course. do do you think it's a feature of our politics that forty two point five percent of RTDs well, fall I think into a, a millionaire bracket? Now I know there's nuances within that, yeah, and I know that there is definitely differences between parties. I think Finney Gael was up around seventy five percent, Sinn Fein was about. 11%. And surprisingly, the Greens were the lowest. Uh, they had the lowest millionaire penetration of the bigger parties. Do you think it's a factor in in the decisions that are made?
5: So I think the the bigger issue is home ownership. And if you're to categorize the general population in terms of owning your own home, having a mortgage, tenant, uh, council housing, and landlord category, which is not normally something we usually include. (laughs) But they're so skewed up towards that landlord category, it's insane. (laughs) Very few of them, almost none of them rent, any of them rent. Um, so I think in terms of that representative piece, which is important because they are representative, and I think that's one of the differences between how some people view politics. Are they representatives or are they, you know, our clever elites that are above us to kind of make very, very clever decisions? Um, I think they're representatives and I think it's unrepresentative of the biggest issue according to the public, which is housing. And I think that's indicative. I mean, I heard Michael Healy Ray on a radio program there talking about how he thought the central bank rules should be relaxed. Now, there's probably some argument for that, but no, it's, it's, not. Pretty, <laughs> it's pretty noticeable that for a guy who has, what, 16, 17 properties that that would certainly financially improve his situation for housing prices to increase. Uh, mm. His assets would, would obviously increase, and, and it wasn't questioned, which uh, I was very disappointed in. You know, and-
3: Just as you broaden that out, I think whatever about the report kind of was, and Joe I know this is something you always rail about the fact that a lot of the politicians who are agitating for certain things in Spain uh, happen to be the, the more affluent class and, uh, <laughs> they 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 use the um, the ideas of other things to to drive uh, their to, to protect their own base you know there was there was men there was men with Mercedes sending young men onto the street saying this is this is this is a this is a, a breach of my civil liberties uh, but when you see the like I don't know if you saw the figures yesterday from Ireland they are again, okay, I want to caveat all of this. Um, property is wealth. Absolutely, property is wealth. Pensions are income, which whatever way you want to look at it, but it's still a phenomenal amount of, of money um, for a relatively small uh, country.
2: Joe? Well, I think the issue always is, and Kevin is slightly um, alluding to that, whether people are, are bad or if they just don't know. You know, it's like that was always the thing that was talked about in apartheid South Africa, for instance, that a lot of white people just didn't sort of know the conditions in which, uh, you know, non-white people live. So that's always the question, which is to say, like a lot of these politicians, they, you know, they, they buy a house as quickly as they can and they leverage up and do all these things. And that's what everyone else around them does. So they... They sort of don't know that there are other people like who 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 haven't done that. So that's always the question as to whether uh, you know the Mayor of Barcelona always used to talk about that, which is to say, is it that they don't know? Or is it that they do know and, and actually are, are aggressively, you know, advocating? And it's the same with direct provision. It's the same with the hate payments or the HAP payments, you know, this thing about whether they are defending something because it's in their interests or whether they're genuinely it's a short-term solution that's got out of control. Uh, and that's, you know, that's always the issue with with uh, And that's why I, I always like to discuss issues, you know, and, and, and put proposals to people uh, and, you know, that's that's more of what we need to talk about. Like I was talking to, to Martin about the, the Slanta care situation and, and, you know, it was really, really disappointing that, you know, that looks to have kind of hit a wall. And, uh, you know, even after all party agreement, even after committees, even after everything that's happened, that, it, you know, it does seem to have hit a wall. And why? Because, You know, if you actually look at what they're proposing, it is very, very radical. You know, they are separating, uh, basically taking private consultants out of public hospitals. They are introducing primary care centers. They're moving away from the insurance system. Uh, Their uh, health, you will be treated on the basis of, uh, your need as opposed to your income so it, it's extraordinarily radical what they're doing and and but you know people have been working on this for years and and now as I mentioned my my mother was briefly in the news for resigning uh which is a sort of like and I was like you know
0: she didn't even you tell me to, this, that this was happening us, you need to tell us who your mother is Joe please well
2: I, I mean you. Chairman of the the South and Southwest Hospital Group, and, you know, was kind of easing into a nice grandchildren retirement. And then she got talked into doing this. And after five years, she just felt there was no real interest in moving. Uh, So she just wrote a letter and said, you know, the, the, I don't get any interest, so therefore. So it was a sort of a one-day story. But three other people have resigned as well, you know, who were also in a kind of a similar situation. A and speeding, you know, it's a speeding up of a slow death of, of slunch care, which is going to be very problematic
3: because we've got all these conversations yesterday happening in cork a conversation around a shared Ireland, Ireland's future. I wouldn't be coming to to a uh, United Ireland without it, without an NHS equivalent, you know. Give me give me something. Maria, do you have uh, any take on that at all or
4: Um, Well, just, I suppose, in terms of the millionaire report, I suppose the one thing that hasn't really been talked about too much is the pension aspect. Um, And like if you just see the the wealth of pensions um, on the TDs like this, and I suppose that's quite reflective of the younger person kind of on their lack of pension or having to work perhaps like maybe 67 now, but like I could be working until I'm 70 or beyond the way things are going. So like I suppose when your represent- representatives have such big pension pots and they're kind of sorted, like it kind of, it might have this discrepancy among young people where they're maybe trying to buy a house, they mightn't have the money to put into pensions or they their work mightn't provide pensions. So I think that's kind of maybe mm-hmm. something that, I kind of it stood out for me um, in the report
3: it's another it's another example of the ladder not just being pulled up but actually when they're pulling it up they're swinging it at the people who are trying to grab at the bottom <laughs> sometimes well, it's,
4: it's often the way in public service like if you look at the contracts for teachers the nurses like it's often like just making things worse for younger people like having less salaries less pension you know like it's 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 basically like the older people keeping things for themselves, which is not a, probably maybe not what they
0: need I, to do. But <laughs> I, I think I think that was kind of obvious, and I and I'm not dragging David Davenport over the coals, but I think it was obvious that there is a generational gap there in that, yes, maybe older journalists who were able to buy their houses before the Celtic Tiger, yes, maybe they are worth a million. But but we have spoken to so many journalists, Tony, who are literally scraping by. I'm always amazed how how bad it is, how difficult it is in journalistic circles to actually make a few books. Which is why you
3: have to subscribe to uh, the Dublin Inquirer and and, and go into noteworthy.ie and make sure that you chip in to to fund the things. And I know we're laughing about that, but that's the truth. Truth. that's yeah. how that's how we do it I mean we're all here We, we it, people give a shit so if you want to give a shit you have to actually put your hands in your pockets It's yeah.
6: uh, so. I know like like
4: Martin I think like I'm always laughing at that myself like because like I used to work in pharmaceutical industry and like if I had stayed in that and not had a passion for journalism my salary would be a lot better than it is now and like that's a lot of the key with journalists like they actually give up a lot to be journalists these days like you could Earn a lot more as a fi- in finance rather than being a finance journalist. Like as a health or science journalist, for me, I would earn a lot more in the science or health industry. So, like it, I think people are extremely unfair in that way in terms of uh, kind of say, saying that we earn a lot of money. It isn't true at all. Well, I think it's, it's,
0: <laughs> the penny is beginning to drop that the, the gap is is generational as well. That there is a there is a generational gap. That the, the, as Tony says, the ladder has been pulled up. And the idea that only millionaires can afford houses now, it's, but however insane that sounds, that's actually the case. You know, it's actually the case. You have to be bloody well off to afford a house. Whereas 20 years ago, you didn't. It was it was a rite of passage. Now that rite of passage has been taken away. And for no real good reason either. And uh, those who have are fighting very hard to keep what they have. Um, I just think that, that we're heading somewhere along the line. This bubble has to burst at some stage. We have to realize that you can't just force everybody out of the country who doesn't have a house.
3: That's not going to work. But um, can I just just before we wrap, um, as I said, we've, we're co- going back to Jack Power this week. We're going to be covering um, concerns um report into 41 41- People who were starving, surviving after the 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 uh, after they had to flee war and 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 um, climate uh, catastrophe and how they're they're suffering as well. So we'll be covering that as well during the week. Um, Maria, do you, have you got anything that you that's coming out that you'd like the listeners to know about? And then maybe Shamim, if you could give us a, a flavor as well, that'd be great.
4: Well, I suppose just going back to travelers um, and ch- children. Like I'm actually working on a big project on. Um, are enough supports being given to traveller children? Um, and as Anne-Marie said, like it, like it's obviously not the case. But we're we have a series of articles. I'm working with Michelle Hennessy from the journal on this. So over the coming weeks, just keep an eye on that. Um, we'll have a series of articles called Tough Start um, coming out um, most likely next week and the following weeks.
0: That's great. Thanks for that, Maria. Shamim, do you have anything coming up?
4: yes I have a
1: story about an um, unaccompanied minors who who who've gone missing on their Tesla care that's coming out next week and yeah I just basically want to tell you that if you like our stories um we don't sell ads and everything we do is made possible by our subscribers so if you if you if you're listening and you want to subscribe to us we really appreciate it you can do that at slash subscribe.
3: Absolutely. And, and, and I'd just
0: like to mention another podcast we have coming up during the week with the, the fabulous Noel McCree. And if anybody has listened to our previous podcast with Noel, uh, Noel is a force. He just is a force. A Noel is, Noel
3: is the, the prison office whistleblower. And, he, <laughs> and he, he is a
0: force. And himself and Julie were in the Oireachtas Finance Committee last week. So we'll be doing a, a podcast that about the views they put across for whistleblowers. So that should be an interesting interview. Kevin, have you anything coming up during the week? N- no polls. Um,
5: uh, I do have uh, some polls coming out uh, with the journal, so I do uh, this. They've a really interesting project called the Good Information Project, yeah, yeah. and it kind of, I guess, it's off news cycle items. So it's kind of individual topics that are not necessarily news at that particular point in time, but they kind of do a big deep dive into them. The last one was on space exploration. There's one on migration, so we've done some really interesting. Um, and attitudes towards uh refugees uh asylum seekers and migration in general and that sort of stuff and actually it was also very very interesting sure. joe i'd ask
0: the you before, but please. you're just going to tell us you're going to have nice coffee sitting outside in the
2: i tell you i have them um... are you back in 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 face to face lectures joe yeah, yeah, no, we're back in, in we're back in that. I mean, the thing about our, our classes are quite small. So, you know, we don't have, it's harder in universities. I mean, in, in UCC, I had 250 people in the same room. So obviously, that wouldn't be possible. But we, our classes tend to be smaller. So uh, it's possible. To, so I'm absolutely back. I mean, we wear masks and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm back to face to, to, to face uh, lecturing. But um, I was just going to say my I have like I have some pieces written for El Pais on Brexit in Ireland and all this kind of stuff. But but they're queued up and they can't get into the system because of everyone's writing like about extradition require you know, and all this kind of stuff. So that's what's frustrating me. You know, Do you know, uh, I, I, you know, we are as, so as we always argue, Joe, I think and we believe this
3: Ireland seems to think it's closer to. U- USA and America, uh, USA in England, but I think we're closer to the to the to the to the um to the Spanish Portuguese countries, yeah. and, and that's uh, the, but uh, well,
2: we- well, did did you see? I mean, uh, Vinton O'Toole had a piece about like that. Fina Gael were up to exactly the same as the Partido Popular in terms of like. Getting you know pick me up payments and paying their staff under the counter. Except of course in Spain it was a much bigger thing. You know, but when Finagale did it, it was only sort of small amounts. But it was you're talking about millions in the case. So it turns out that you know Christian Democrats, uh, you know in Spain and Christian Democrats in uh, in Ireland uh, aren't really that that different. Before we go, guys. Before, be, before we go, guys. <laughs> has any
3: has anybody got any calls? Kevin, you have any calls on the on the German election?
5: Oh. <laughs> I've done a lot of work for the German Green Party last few years, just randomly uh, through someone else, and uh, so my but, hope is that the uh, that the SPD get just enough that the second preferences go to the Greens, and we can do a bit of a kind of game the system. So, a, so, so that's a, your best
3: case scenario. <laughs> yeah.
5: Um,
3: do you think that you think the the, uh, the the far right party going to get the ten percent?
5: Yeah. What 10, sorry 10 percent, you mean?
3: Yeah, 5% well, threshold? the five percent is the threshold, but there's talk of them actually doubling it as the is the that's the oh, worst okay. case scenario where they then then they then they have more influence, so they will they're going to get the five that they in Germany you have to achieve five percent threshold to, to have representation. So,
5: um, yeah, I, I I'm more worried about uh, Lincoln might make the five, that's uh what I was thinking about, which um, I hope they do. So, I'm um, so maybe it could be a green, red, red. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we could do it some more green, green, red. But I'd
3: go red green first, you know me. Red green, man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: now, just before we stop the recording, we'll still stay on here for questions. Anybody wants to ask any questions from the audience, raise your hand. We're quite happy to stay on and answer questions. Um, w- next week we'll be doing the show again. It's really important that you tell your friends that we do this on a on a Sunday morning. If you're listening, you're already a patron. Thanks very much for being here. But if, if you have friends that don't listen to this, tell them about it. Say, come on aboard. Listen, participate, be part of the conversation. Tony
3: no that's grand we'll, we'll wrap it there guys if anybody has any questions i know um uh, just we we'll, we we'll, we'll, we'll cut there but look again i know it's lashing rain here so um but but th- <laughs> th- thanks so much Am- Joe thanks for that um Am- Am- <laughs> thanks so much for for for, oh, for look at that. <laughs> <laughs> what, why did you why did you go from ucc sure <laughs> address um no, look if, if no one has any other questions we we will wrap um Oshin, I got your email and we, we will we will do it we will have that point that's that's a promise I'll, I'll say that there um, and we'll we'll leave it off Shamim it's lovely to kind of meet you uh, and uh, thanks for doing this Kevin thanks for being pulled on Maria again as always a pleasure and uh, keep up the great work all of you Joe it, it's we're, we're overdue mate and we'll we'll we will, we'll see we'll see you on the other side when, when we're when you're when you're back in town alright someday someday Tony someday yeah. guys t- enjoy yourselves talk to you soon okay take care Martin, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Yes, See that's ya. no problem. <laughs> yes.